This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to Charter Nation. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. Produced by the California Charter Schools Association. Hi, everyone. I'm Anna Tentacolis, your host. Thanks for joining us. Today, we talk about homeschooling and whether California is on the verge of a homeschool boom brought on by the pandemic. Then we head to San Diego and spend some time with Amelie Caswell, a high school senior who was on the verge of suicide before finding a non-classroom-based public charter school called My Academy. And later, what if every public school campus was equipped with a pandemic response team? That's what Angela Martinez thinks should happen. She's the leader of KIPP SoCal. We hear from her later in this episode. Now, let's kick things off with this week's Changemakers interview. Changemakers is our regular segment in which Myrna Castrojon, the president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, sits down with personalities in public education from across the ideological spectrum. This week, her guest is Lance Izumi. He's the senior director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. His new book is called The Homeschool Boom, Pandemic, Policies, and Possibilities and it's now available on Amazon. In the book, Lance points out that during the height of the pandemic, 35,000 California families filed an affidavit to open a private homeschool. And more families are signing up for homeschool programs offered through charter and non-charter school organizations. Is homeschooling the next wave in education? For more on that, here's Myrna Casterhon with this week's Changemakers interview. Lance, thank you so much for being here on Changemakers. Myrna, it's such a great pleasure to be on uh, the show with you. You know, it's a real pleasure and a great honor for me, uh, especially because I've always supported the work of the California Charter School Association. Lance, for those who don't know much about your organization, can you tell us about the Pacific Research Institute, what it aims to accomplish when it comes to education? The Pacific Research Institute, for people who don't know it, is a free market uh, public policy institute, and we've been in existence actually since 1979. And so our education work at PRI really spans the gamut of education issues from education funding to student performance to learning standards. But the area that uh, I've really focused on in all my years at PRI has been on school choice in all its different forms, from charter schools to private school scholarship programs to homeschooling. If you look at the books I've written, they've been mostly actually on uh, school choice issues. PRI is releasing my newest book, The Homeschool Boom, which explains the homeschool phenomenon in this country, why it's growing, who are the parents, children, and educators who are involved in homeschooling, human stories about the homeschooling experience. That's right. And it's so timely, uh, Lance. So let's dive a little bit into the themes of your book, The Homeschool Boom. Especially uh, interesting is how many more uh, Black and Latino families are enrolling in, in homeschool. So from your vantage point, what are the factors at play? If you look at the most recent federal data, it shows that in the regular public schools that they've lost about a million and a half students. And if you look here in California, that's nationwide, but if you look in California, it shows that we've lost more than 160,000 regular public school students. Well, you know, where have all those students gone? 
right? They didn't just disappear. Well, some of them went into private schools, some of them went into charter schools, but a lot of them did go into homeschooling. And if you look at, for example, the Census Bureau data, from the spring to the fall of last year, the percentage of homeschooling went from 5% to 11%, more than double. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association estimates that the number of homeschoolers in the country now is upwards of 8 million kids which is a huge total, which is so much more than if you look back in the early 1990s, uh, it was probably around uh, 300,000. That is a and huge increase, yeah. To be clear, like uh, it's not just a question of students exiting uh, the system or leaving the state. There's also an underlying uh, low birth rate issue as well. There's a demographic shift. Uh, immigration is down as well. Uh, and that's very different from past decades, right, where we saw enrollments rise and rise and rise and and we're in a very, very different, different um, wave at this moment. What? How do you see the this homeschooling uh, trend? Uh, how do you articulate it in, in your book? Is it going to continue to rise? What's driving it? Parents have found that because uh, their kids are at home, that if they do homeschool their uh, kids, they actually have the type of uh, personalization possibilities uh, for individualized learning that they can offer their kids that they can't get at the regular public schools. I mean, one of the things I do in my book is I uh, profile parents and their kids who uh, are homeschooling. And one of the people I profile in my book is a woman named Demetria Zinga, and she's one of the top African-American homeschool bloggers in the country. And she used uh, a classical education curriculum for her oldest daughter because she really needed a kind of structured curriculum to do well uh, in homeschooling. But for her younger daughter, who was much more artsy into into theater and stuff like that, she used a very different curriculum. And it's that type of personalization to the individual child that you can have in homeschooling that you can get when you're in a one-size-fits-all regular public school, which uses just one type of curriculum. And also, too, the just uh, explosion in the number of homeschool groups across the country where you can get that socialization that a lot of people worry about that kids may miss if they homeschool when in fact, you know, uh, homeschoolers are really involved in a lot of social activities. This is so fascinating, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're talking uh, in your book, diving really deeper into the personal stories of families. This homeschool trend, uh, I think, really recenters the student experience, the parents' agency in building a construct of schooling that meets their families' needs and puts them at the center. I, I find, as you know, I'm like I'm a big uh, champion of equity, right? And and looking at how the system uh, serves or does not serve well different uh, populations. And I think this really puts the argument sort of on its head a bit in a way that's probably a good corrective for the system. So let's personalize this even further. You you profiled in your book a woman named Magda Gomez, a mom who immigrated from Mexico, like I did, um, and decided to homeschool her daughter. Uh, tell us about Magda's story and, and how what was the reasoning behind that choice and how does her story represent uh, some of these trends that you've been discussing. Magda came to this country from Tijuana, Mexico when she was 16 years old and she didn't speak English. She worked uh, nearly full time at a restaurant in order to help her parents make ends meet. And she eventually had two daughters and she initially sent them to the regular public schools in her neighborhood. But her daughters, they did very well academically, but they were 
victims of something that's you know very prevalent in the regular public schools, and that's bullying and harassment. And despite all of these uh, you know attacks on her daughters, the school really did nothing to stop them. So Magda told me that sending her daughters to school just to receive the academic portion of the schooling really was not worth it. At the same time, they were being hurt by other students and dealing with dangerous situations, and the school was doing nothing about it. Uh, and I think there are a lot of parents who are in Magda's situation. So Magda pulled her daughters out of the public schools and decided to homeschool them. And it turned out that homeschooling was a great learning experience both for her and for her daughters. And because of that, she's really become a um, very strong activist for homeschooling in the Hispanic community. And she says that many Hispanics, especially immigrants, are actually afraid to homeschool their kids, not because they have anything against homeschooling per se, but somehow they have in their head that they might get in trouble for homeschooling their kids, that maybe it's illegal to homeschool their children. And so Magda runs a program now that gives information to uh, about education options, including homeschooling to Hispanic parents. And she helps guide them through all these various options to, so that they choose the one that best fits uh, the needs of their children. And she told me, and I thought this was wonderful, she told me that it's my dream to see more Hispanic families doing homeschooling. And well, if you look at the federal data, Magda's dream is actually coming true because uh, amongst Hispanic families, the rate of homeschooling has actually doubled over the last year from 6% to 12%. How, how will that evolve in the state? Is it a pandemic blip? Is it a permanent thing? Bring out your, your uh, divination ball and tell me, what do you see here? <laughs> well, you know, I think that if I were to look in my crystal ball, Myrna, I think what I see is I continue to see uh, homeschooling growing and growing and growing. There are different types of homeschooling. If you want to be an independent homeschooler, you file a private school affidavit, which basically makes your home a private school. And the number of private school affidavits in California during this pandemic has more than doubled. Now, another way you can homeschool your child here in California is through a homeschool charter school, which you also referenced. Uh, in my book, I profile a woman named Alicia Carter, who heads up the homeschool academy at Natomas Charter School up here in the Sacramento area. And her academy, uh, it's a bricks and mortars facility, and it provides art, music, and other types of enrichment classes to homeschoolers. They can actually go to this facility and take those classes. And when I asked Alicia why she thought she, uh, this increase uh, was, was, uh, was happening, she said that part of it was the pandemic, uh, but she also thinks that people are starting to consider homeschooling to be a really viable option. And it's not just some fringe choice. And uh, finally, I think that uh, the other thing I'd like to point out is that the, there's a third way to homeschool, and that's you know to send your kid to a non-classroom-based charter school. Uh, where parents receive funding to purchase learning services for their children through uh, approved pro uh, providers. So I think that homeschooling is going to continue to grow. It's actually going to explode, which is why I decided to entitle my book, The Homeschool Boom. What can the system learn from this moment? And how? What to what North Star should we anchor our hopes and efforts to ensure that we continue to close the equity gaps? What I think that has come out of this uh, pandemic experience has been, again, you know, parents realizing that what is needed is uh, for their kids to succeed is a much more personalized experience 
when it comes to learning. In the in the, my book, The Homeschool Boom, I cite uh, Professor Eric Werner, and he's a homeschooling expert at Kennesaw State University. And the, Professor Werner says that the growth in homeschooling really can be attributed to changes in American life and how people feel about the public schools. So he says that this growing desire for smaller and more personalized tastes, generally speaking, has therefore resulted in the education area, people wanting more individualized school choice options for their children. And uh, if regular public schools fail to address this uh, demand by parents, I think you're going to continue to see this floodgate of parents leaving the system. And I really do think that homeschooling uh, is going to be the wave of the future. I, I agree that responsiveness is really going to be the key. It's going to be what makes or breaks uh, our education sector response. Uh, and I think if we fail to take uh, full stock of what this means, it will have been a crisis of imagination and will that will hold us back rather than the possibilities that are really directly in front of us. Now, I think that's right, Myrna. And I think that you know technology is really an important uh, part of this puzzle because you have so many uh, online resources available to parents now. I mean, you can get the entire core knowledge curriculum free online now. And so uh, you have hundreds of, literally hundreds of choices if you're a parent. We're, we're seeing in the news these battles at school boards over curriculum issues. Well, you know something? Homeschoolers don't have that issue. And so therefore, I think that's another reason you're going to see uh, you know, increases in people choosing different types of options because uh, they don't want to be forced into a, a, a round hole when their kid is a square peg. Absolutely. Long live the square pegs. With that, I'd love to thank uh, Lance Sumi, my good friend, for being a guest on Changemakers. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Lance is the Senior Director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. His new book, available now through Amazon, is called The Homeschool Boom, Pandemic, Policies, and Possibilities. I'm Mirna Castrejon, President and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, and you've been listening to Changemakers. This is the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tintopoulos. We just heard how more families are turning to homeschooling because it can offer a much more personalized learning experience for students. That's the same reason why many students enroll in independent study programs at non-classroom-based charter public schools, also known as NCBs. Now, these type of charter schools offer educational options outside the confines of a regimented school day. In fact, CCSA issued a report earlier this year about non-classroom-based charter public schools. And a key finding is that NCBs are serving some of the state's most vulnerable students, kids who've been expelled from traditional school, those who are chronically absent, students who have dropped out of high school, or teenage parents. I wanted to hear directly from a student the power behind independent study programs offered through an NCB. So I called up My Academy. It's a non-classroom-based charter public school located in San Diego County. The folks there put me in touch with this high school senior. My name is Amelie Caswell. I'm 
about to be 18. She has big, bright blue eyes and curly, light brown hair. And despite her young age, again, almost 18 years old, Amelie tells me she's already been through a lot. It all began in elementary school. All of the nasty things that kids can say, and it made me, like, really angry. She tells me classmates would make fun of her looks and weight. She thought the teasing and bullying would stop once she got to middle school. But Amelie says it got even worse. I stopped going to school. I would do literally anything and everything not to go to school. Like, I would just say to myself, I wish I even had a broken arm not to go. Amelie decided the best way to get out of class was to get into trouble. She would throw away her homework, get into fights, bully other kids, and disrespect teachers. I definitely became a a low person to everyone. I treated people poorly because I was getting treated poorly. And it created a huge cycle that I thought would never end. Amelie says the adults at the public schools she was attending didn't help much either. Rarely did she get the support she truly needed. I was going into school losing everything that I would come in with. A smile, confidence, happiness was just gone by the end of the day. Amelie's mom and dad were not around to help. She tells me her mom wasn't responsible enough or had the parenting skills to take care of her, her older brother, and sister. Their dad moved to a different state when she was younger. So Amelie's aunt became her legal guardian. But her aunt was soon overwhelmed with Amelie's academic, social, and emotional needs. I did not have worth as a person. I felt like I was nothing. Eventually, Amelie dropped out of school and fell into a deep depression. She tells me she'd lock herself in her room, refuse to come out. That's when she contemplated suicide. I did not even think that I would be here past a certain age. The, the depression and the suicidal thoughts were very real and very there. Finally, Amelie and her aunt sought psychiatric help, and eventually she began to feel better, stronger. And when it was time for her to head back to school, Amelie knew a traditional public school was not going to work. That's when she turned to My Academy, also known as Motivated Youth Academy. This non-classroom-based charter public school, or NCB, is based in San Diego County and works to give students like Amelie a second chance. It offers personalized learning programs, flexibility in the school day, and one-on-one instructional support, which results in strong teacher and student relationships. You have a this person, this teacher who's all about you and you get, it's just you guys. It's like the most amazing feeling. There's no competition. There's no other students trying to like get in and be like, Hey, that's my teacher. No, right. As the bell rings and your laptop is on and you're with the teacher from my Academy, it's there. It's just you guys. And it's the most amazing feeling. there's been an incredible turnaround in Amelie's academic journey. Now, she's a confident high school senior posting high marks in all her classes. 
In fact, she was recently accepted to Colorado State University and has plans to become a history professor. I'm 100% serious. My academy made my dreams come true. And that is like insane. Like I feel grateful for that. I always wanted to go to college throughout the bullying from like the traditional classrooms and the schools that I went to. I did not think that I would ever get into the college I wanted. I know better things are yet to come, but I definitely, I found myself. I found myself and I feel good again. That's Amelie Caswell, a high school senior at My Academy. I'd like to thank her and the school for allowing me to share her story. To learn more about My Academy, visit its website at myacademy.org. And to learn more about non-classroom-based charter public schools in California, check out CCSA's report released earlier this year called Serving Diverse Student Needs in the Golden State, Practices and Programs of Non-Classroom-Based Public Charter Schools. You can find it by going to our website, ccsa.org. You're listening to the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. Here's a thought-provoking question for you. What if officials here in the state of California equipped each and every public school campus with a COVID response team? This team of trained healthcare professionals would be on hand to manage the medical workload now being left to educators. Angela Martinez wants to turn that idea into reality. Angela is the CEO of KIPP SoCal, which has 23 charter public schools in Southern California. Here's Angela, in her own words, with this week's audio postcard from Los Angeles. My job used to be making sure students were receiving a rigorous and joyful educational experience that would prepare them for college and beyond. That's still my job. But the roughly 600,000 of us who work in public education in California now have a second job, healthcare professionals. We monitor virus mutations and respond swiftly to sudden surges of infections. We vigilantly enforce safety protocols from proper mask wearing to hand washing to social distancing. We track down parents in the middle of the day to pick up children who might've been exposed to COVID. My team members come to me overwhelmed, overworked, unable to understand why local or state officials are not sending reinforcements. To its credit, the Biden administration has sent extra federal funding to help public schools cope with COVID, but we need expertise. The pandemic remains a medical emergency, one that wreaks disproportionate havoc on communities and people of color. Government should respond accordingly. Officials should equip each public school campus with a pandemic response team. The teams could consist of professionals with varying degrees of experience and certification. What's important is to have more staff on hand with medical training. These trained healthcare professionals would manage the medical workload that is now being left to teachers, principals, librarians, and social workers. They would advise and enforce safety protocols, manage COVID screenings and contact tracing, coordinate with the parents and guardians of students who need to quarantine at home, and share information about and perhaps even administer vaccinations. With COVID management off of our plates, 
teachers and school administrators could devote our energy to what we're best at, planning science lessons, helping our middle schoolers choose which high school they will enroll in, counseling students in crisis, and so much more. Right now, educators are looking at another school year of conducting crisis management. It is not too late for public officials to send us the healthcare experts and coordinated support we need. My name is Angela Martinez, and I am the CEO of Kip SoCal Public Schools. Kip SoCal has 23 charter public schools in Southern California. You can read Angela's entire commentary on this issue by heading to CCSA's Charter Nation blog at ccsa.org slash charter nation. That's where you'll also find past episodes of the Charter Nation podcast, as well as other great charter public school stories from across the Golden State. I'm Anna Tentakoulis, host of Charter Nation. Thanks for listening.